0: So, why did I quit my job to go to the startup then? I think I was very risk-averse, let's put it that way. I moonlight for a year and a half and I put in about 400-500k of my own money before we raise any money. Because at the time, I told myself that I could quit my job and go into the startup full-time, but I know the product takes about a year to two years to build. And my only competitive advantage is that I make you know, money on my day job. So that year, I told myself, everything I make I live this year, I'm gonna put it into the startup. And my net worth will not increase, my liquidity will not increase, that's fine. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I stay exactly where I was a year later.
1: This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, And investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. What's going on everyone and welcome to episode 259 of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today we have Perry Zhang back on the show. Perry is a real estate syndicator with over 800 units and is the founder and CEO of cashflow portal. In this episode, Perry will share how he quit his full-time job as a tech manager to grow his multifamily syndication business to over 800 units and how he started his own prop tech company. he will talk about how he started cashflow portal and how the site helps syndicators with their business. So if you want to learn how to become a better capital raiser and how to start your own prop tech company, then you need to listen to this episode. So without further ado, Let's hop on in. All right, Perry, welcome back
0: to the show. Go ahead and introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do. Hi Sean, super happy to be back on the show. So my name is Perry Zane. I live in Seattle, Washington. I'm the founder and CEO of Cashflow Portal, a real estate syndication software. Professionally, I was previously an engineer manager at Lyft for five and a half years. And then before that, I was a software engineer at Twitter and Amazon. I am also a syndicator with 850 units as a GP. And I did a lot of house hacking and single families before that. That's a little bit about me.
1: Last time we had you on the show, you were talking about how you were house hacking your place and you have a bunch of random people living with you. What has changed since our last podcast episode?
0: Since last episode, I decided to go all in into multifamily syndication. At the time, I had 172 units and we scaled it up to 850 units. I start almost winding down the house hacking business by selling one house a year. Uh, and I also got to learn that there's a lot of technology needs within real estate syndication. So I started my own company, quit my W2 job, and then now as a full-time tech entrepreneur.
1: That's awesome. So let's go into you know many things to unpack here. But the first one is going from 100-some units to 800-some units. That's a lot of raising, right? That's a lot of deals how did you scale so fast
0: to get to so many units for the listeners it sounds a lot but once you have that first 100 plus units you have done the hardest part you are pretty much 80% finished. the next two deals i start to see there's a ton of competitive advantage and unfairness being an experienced sponsor because you execute Raising money is actually not that hard. People literally recommend their families and friends to invest more with you. From a broker's side, we have a good reputation for closing on time and closing seamlessly. So brokers start recommending us deals. There are times in which the broker said that if you want this, make this price and we'll give it to you. In our latest deal, it was between us and a private equity firm from New York and broker gave it to us because they didn't want the private equity firm in New York to have all the leverage when negotiating. So it's a very, very interesting world. There are rules to the game, but experience pays hugely once you, the more into the game.
1: Yeah, I feel like that's the same for almost all aspects of real estate, whether you're an agent or a loan officer, it's very much a referral business, right? Like clients refer other clients to you and even like agents refer you know, opportunities to us as lenders and vice versa. And even some of the most successful, like real estate flippers, they don't even do direct marketing. The brokers give them all the off market deals because they know they can perform.
0: Yeah. It's funny though, because, you know, when I was perhaps younger, I always thought that you need to be charismatic and you need to talk a certain way or act a certain way to quote unquote be successful and get more business. But in real estate, which was probably one of the reasons I like it. It's really about competency. If you do what you say you're gonna do, I don't know, a couple of years later, things start snowballing. Like to this day, I don't think I'm still charismatic or whatnot, but I do do what I say I would do like follow up, you know, send emails. Now the, the brokers love us, the investors love us, and it's not that hard once you start scouting.
1: Yeah, your reputation matters a lot, especially in real estate. So if you do anything that is shady, then it's a complete opposite effect, right? You could have had everything, and then you do one thing that's really, really bad, and all of a sudden, like, your business is completely gone. So keep your reputation up no matter what. Even if it means you might possibly lose a little bit for yourself, at the end of the day, it does pay off a lot more. And it's funny because like a lot of people, they want me to, like, play golf with them or drink. You know, I so I stopped drinking, like, three years ago. But I'm like, dude, I don't need that stuff. Again, at the end of the day, it's all about performing, not about playing golf or drinking with people, right? So. So the next thing I want to go into is, when did you feel comfortable leaving your full-time job? Because you're getting paid a lot of money, right? You're working in tech, you were in an actual like high position. It's hard to give up. So like, what was that
0: thought process for you? Great question. Let me put it this way. I have 850 units as GP and I'm the lead GP. If I don't have my startup, I will still have my W2 job. That's, you know, quote unquote, how much I got paid. And because real estate is not that hard, we have a great team. We start hiring as a manager. We have my business partner. So I know how to scale a team. That's what I learned at Lyft being an engineer manager. So I only quit my W-2 job because of the startup. And even right now, my time allocation is 90% at the startup, my mental energy and time, and then 10% in real estate syndication. Because real estate syndication, you end up managing the property management company and you are basically setting the direction and creating a culture. You're not doing the day to day. Now it's important though you know how to do the day-to-day because you cannot really be a, for example, engineering director without first being an engineer manager or an engineer in the first place. So that skill set helps. But in terms of how much work I actually do, not that much. I go on to, you know, weekly costs. So why did I quit my job to go to the startup then? I think I was very risk averse, let's put it that way. I moonlight for a year and a half, and I put in about 400-500k of my own money before we raise any money. Because at the time, I told myself that I could quit my job and go into the startup full time, but I know the product takes about a year to two years to build. and my only competitive advantage is that I make you know, money on my day job. So that year, I told myself, everything I make I live this year, I'm going to put it into the startup. And my net worth will not increase, my liquidity will not increase, that's fine. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. I stay exactly where I was a year later. You know, It turned out that that was the right decision. But during the year and a half, it was painful because we didn't have many customers, and I wasn't actively outreaching. and I didn't have time to outreach. All I was is focused on building the engineering and the product and the team. But at some point, when the customers start coming in, there was no need to change our technical infrastructure to scale, because it automatically scales. And so in hindsight, I did the right thing. But every startup founder will have told me that that was the wrong thing to do. So it was during the scaling phase that I said, well, I could Go all in. We also got into a, a prestigious accelerator program in Silicon Valley. So because I need to do that, that's the turning point. So okay, I think I should go all in. It turned out that after I went all in, the business scaled even faster. Because I always thought that, okay, well, I can do a lot even as someone who moonlights. How much more can I incrementally add to the startup by quitting and leaving all that quote-unquote money on the table? It turned out that yes, the compound effect is real. If I spend, you know, twice as much time or three times as much time, week over week, I do see better results. That being said, if I quit maybe a year earlier, I don't think that's the same story. Because there's so much plumbing that you have to do from a product side, that it does take about a year to see the product to be something that people actually want.
1: So if you're trying to do your own tech startup, you're recommending that people should not quit their jobs right away, maybe like have a good first iteration. And then once you start seeing some traction, then you can go all in because then the compound effects will help it grow even faster than if you were
0: trying to do, you know, split your time, do two things. I subscribe to that philosophy and I do think a lot of successful people, it turned out to be the most risk averse people as well. So let's go into your actual product. So like, what is it exactly? And tell us the story behind it. Sure. So. Cashflow Portal is a real estate syndication software that helps you streamline syndicators, streamline equity raising, manage your investors and connect with more investors. Okay. I started the company because during my first real estate syndication, we raised 4.3 million dollars for 70 investors. That means I prepare 70 docu signs for all of them. They sign it, they email me back, I open up the document, extract the investment amount onto my spreadsheet. I countersign it, I send them an email with the wire instructions, they send the wire, I check my bank, and then I send another email, a manual email saying that congratulations, your wire has been received. And coming from a technical background, I was like, this is so much work. Why am I doing this? And I looked up the solutions out there. They're cumbersome, they're very expensive. And at the time I said, I think I could create a better software than this. That part turned out to be true the product and engineering is better. What I didn't know is everything else about the business. So it was still very hard work and very fulfilling to create a business. So it's real estate syndication software is something that allows syndicators to raise money, but it's also the first line of contact as soon as you get your letter of intent accepted. So we are basically the first vendor that the syndicator talks to. And as a result, we have a ton of access to what happens next. You know, we are also a marketplace for vendors. We are a marketplace for investors. So there's a lot of stuff that we can do. And our customer persona is a real estate investor. I will not, you know, use the software, for example, for managing your cap table for a startup because that's not my persona. My persona is a real estate investor who may or may not become a syndicator, but that's my persona. So we'll do all the things for that real estate investor persona.
1: So you mentioned when you're first getting started, your product is good, better than anything out there. And you said that was no problem. But then you said that there's a lot of things that you didn't
0: think about that ended up being more difficult. What were some of those challenges? The biggest one might be sales. I'm not good with sales. And I always thought that I'm not salesy. But then people are like, well, you raised so much money, how can how can you say you're not salesy? And I said, the way I sell is just keep telling my investors all the things that could go wrong. But that's just who I am. So when the product was not mature and that we didn't have much traction, which is the first year, when I reached out to put prospective customers, it was very difficult to get a demo. And sometimes people don't even show up to the demo. And that was hard. And I always thought that if I were more charismatic, for example, I might be able to win them over. So everything about sales—you know, the sequence in which you do things—you know, in the startup ecosystem, there's always that bringing some customers, any customers, and then make them happy, and then keep iterating on your product. It turned out that we have that. I made an effort to do two demos a week, but no more or less. And my startup mentor said, you should be doing 40 demos a day, Perry. I'm like, I don't have that time. And I could quit my job and do that, but I know what I want because I'm a syndicator. So sales was hard. And then the other part is, you hear all kinds of advice about how you should build a startup. And I don't think there's one way to do anything. Definitely not a startup. Startup is very, very multifaceted. It's like life, it's a part of your life. And so I did it my way, but there's always that voice in the back of my mind that I'm not doing it correctly. So there's a lot of kind of that self-doubt that I just spent 200K and we have zero customer, what am I doing? And the product you know, is okay in the first like three to six months. And there's a lot of plumbing and it's not as user-friendly and we're doing these customer demos. And we also have to do some technical refactoring because uh, this is not good, the scratch, and then built it another way. And we still don't have customers. And so at some point I told myself, "Why am I doing? So that was a very interesting, good time, yeah.
1: And what would you say is like that inflection point where suddenly you go from having a very hard time, you're struggling, you're consistently putting out these demos and not getting sales to, okay, we're finally getting traction and we're getting more and more sales.
0: What's that like? For all the real estate investors and the startup founders out there, I do think that there has to be a point in which you need to have kind of like this blind confidence, a blind faith that it's going to work out. I know this is very risky to make that statement, or risky to risk your life uh, believing that. But it turned out that in multifamily real estate, competency is what matters. And that every syndicator, they're not technology savvy. They're very risk averse and they are very her mentality. They only go to what everyone else is using, right? They don't have this kind of like early adopter mindset, okay? So the turning point is I decided to use my own software for my own equity race. So we raised $6.7 million on a 236-unit apartment complex in Dallas, our latest acquisition. That was back in June or May and it was successful. And people were like, oh, this is easy. And they told me that, hey, Perry, we were using another software for equity raise on your previous deal, and this is actually easier. I was like, you know that that was a billion dollar company, right? And then the other mentorship groups, the students start using it. And as soon as they have success using it, everyone else start flooding in, you know. That's why my parents said that if you create a good product, people will come, That's not what the startup founders and startup mentors told me. So I still live in this kind of ambivalence and whom to believe. But I do know that within our industry, it's very competence-based. As soon as a syndicator found out that another syndicate has success, they feel like they're missing out by not using it. But in order to get that very guinea pig, I was the guinea pig.
1: That's good. I mean, The good thing is you're not just an outsider making a product. You are actually the person who could use the product. I think a lot of soft startup founders are like young, you know, 20 something year olds, and they want to make it big, but they don't have the actual experience of being an operator. Right. So they just make things based on what they think from the outside perspective. And then have the opportunity, like you did to actually use it. So that's awesome. Now, what does your like corporate structure look like? Like when you were first getting started, are you the one coding everything or did you like outsource everything
0: from day one? Great question. I did not write a single line of code. And that was a conscious decision. I still don't have code installed on my laptop. I still don't have my database set up on my local host. And that was also a conscious decision. My job was an engineer manager, and so I know how to build a team. I was a good engineer. I was a staff engineer at Lyft, and I was a good engineer, or I hope. But I think I'm a better engineer manager, and I do think my philosophy is i try to do things that i will continue to do at equilibrium i don't want to do something else so that i can achieve the equilibrium so if the companies become successful what i will be doing is mostly managing and not coding so i don't want to start coding and then transition to managing and so during my tenure at lyft i built a team outside of lyft and I build a team first, and then I'll give them very simple tasks like build a login button, upload a document, and then do that. Okay, cool. Create a deal, and then now create the funnel to create a deal, and so. And then gradually they're like, oh, this is coming up. My first hire was someone from Upwork. It was a Sunday afternoon. I went on Upwork, and I hired that one individual. This is during COVID by the way, like April of 2020. So everyone was freaking out. Everyone felt like they were running out of jobs. So I'm very, very grateful in a way that there's some tailwind in terms of labor. Like people are just wanting to work for a pretty low salary at the time. And that person turned out to be great. So I said, like, okay, this is not that hard. And I interviewed the next 20 people from Upward. So that's another thing I'm grateful for that the first person was really good. If that was the 21st person I interviewed, I probably have given up. So this is too hard. Let me quit my job and actually could And then throughout that year, we have our people I know, they refer their brothers and their other brothers, friends and people who are in university to intern with us. So it's very, very scrappy, you know, their brother, their wife's sister, it's crazy. Like, oh yeah, my friend so-and-so is in PhD. They want to intern with you. It's like, okay, cool, come in and do as much as you can. And we pay them, you know, compensate them fairly. It's a very, very interesting time where I didn't know what I was doing, so I was clinging on to anything I can get.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's cool that you had the startup capital to do that. When you are finding that first person, like, for example, this first person on Upwork, Or maybe not this person, because like you said, times were a little bit different because of COVID. But what should someone expect to pay for a coder if they want to start their own startup
0: company? Good question. So now that I have gone to a startup, again, my way is not the only way. But I do have strong philosophies about how things should be done. But that's not the only way. I do believe that people did not work for money at my startup. And I know this because there were previous staff engineers At lib that have bi-weekly one-on-ones with me and did not ask for any pay. And why they just like helping? I don't know. I don't get it, but I am forever grateful. And if they do get hired, I will give them retroactive equity, right? And so these people are getting paid like 20 to $25 an hour. And the people in the America is getting paid 30 bucks an hour. You know, it's ridiculously low. And now our salary has increased to like 105 k for fresh grads. But back then, people were not working for money. And even that, we gave the people the option of trading between equity and salary. And everyone chose the one that favors equity, the most extreme version that favors equity. And so, most engineers, I think, care about they. they want to become the best engineer they can, which was the same mindset that I had when I was in my early 20s. And that's the good mindset. And I think perhaps, not being a little bit introspective, one of the things that does help is that they think that I'm competent. And so they value my mentorship and I can call out BS. Like if you say that I need to do so-and-so and I need to like lock down the database or lock down the code and we're gonna have a three hour timeout where we need to do a migration. And I said, you don't need to do that. Like at live, we never do that. So go figure out a way to do it without bring down the whole website. And you know, once I push them, they do respect that because I know it can be done. And so I guess the ability to know, to be very technical is extremely helpful it gains the respect of engineers. And so I can talk to any engineer because I am an engineer. Yeah. So yeah, to answer your question, Upwork work nowadays, if you are really, really technical, you can hire someone for $30 to $35 an hour and they will still work with you. If you're not technical, you can hire, you can pay $60, $100 and you still don't get the same results. So having a technical co-founder definitely helps.
1: Yeah, it's kind of like when you hire a contractor to do your fix and flip projects, if you don't know anything about construction, then these contractors can take advantage, right? They can say, oh, it's going to take all day to just do a simple plumbing fix. Whereas if you know it, you can be like, no, it's going to cost you a hundred bucks. It's a $10 piece of pipe, you know, whatever, like get it done. And it's the same too, like in corporate, like I remember I wanted to be a product manager back in the day and they are like, ah, oh, but if you don't have that technical background, the engineers will take advantage of you. If you're a non-technical product manager you know what i mean they'll be like oh it took me all day to do it and in reality takes them like half an hour that's right
0: yeah actually i might be one of the flip of the person hiring the contractor without knowing how much something costs so i think i need to get better at that
1: it's okay i feel like your tech company will scale and make you a billionaire so don't forget us when that happens like i will now let's talk about maybe interviewing and and finding your team right team building You said that your first guy just happened to be an amazing person, and the next 20 you interviewed sucked. First of all, how did you know that they sucked, and what was that interview process like when you bring on new people? Good
0: question. So everything is an evolution, and pretty quickly I was using the same coding question. I do not care what language they know, what framework they know. All I care is that they can solve this technical question. Now you can say, this is not the most perfect interview method. People can be amazing engineers, but they cannot solve like legal questions. I said, fair enough, but that's still the way I want it. I just want really smart people that end up doing good work because the company is going to pivot multiple times. And I just need people to be able to figure things out. So it's a 45 minute online question with three questions. One is like a legal easy. the other one is like a legal median, and then the last one is like a super easy five minute database question. And that is the first filter. And then there is a formal technical interview. And you know it turned out that a lot of people cheated on the online assessment. And because I'm technical, I can read through the progression of how they answer the question to see if this is like you just copy from somewhere. Right. And then the online assessment is just face-to-face. That's more about how they communicate, how they stuck, how they talk about the problem. And it's usually a, like a legal, medium to hard question. And then there's a 30-minute behavior question where I ask about their background. And that's it. It's super light. You know, do I have a lot of false uh, positives? Yes, I do. And the company culture is based on competency and kindness. So I hope that everyone is kind. But because this is a for-profit business, competency is very, very important. So if someone is not good, we do have the culture of letting people go. So we're very much like the Netflix culture, for better, for worse.
1: And how many people would you say you have on staff now?
0: We have 15 people, nine engineers and six non-engineers. And then what are those non-engineers doing for you guys? Yeah, we have a part-time recruiter, we have a part-time community manager, we have a part-time designer, we have a full-time account manager, and then we're hiring a head of revenue. That's more of a leadership hire now.
1: Okay. So you've already raised $3 million or so for your seed fund before joining an accelerator program, right? And it's funny because like, to you, that's probably peanuts because you're used to raising like $10 million for your syndications. You're like, ah, $3 million for a startup, no big deal, right? I guess what's the plan going forward for your project i mean you said you have 300 syndicators on the platform already that's huge that's probably more syndicators than i thought are even out there i
0: didn't even know there were 300 syndicators out there the goal is to become a large company whether we succeed or not that's a different question but that is the goal we want to help investors also be able to invest in real estate from the comfort of their home And so we are also a marketplace that allows passive investors to invest in large syndications. There might be a meta point here, is that because I was a good engineer, I know there are way better engineers out there than I am. Right? There are people who are just so passionate about engineering that I just couldn't compete. And because I think I'm a good syndicator, I also know there are a ton of amazing syndicators. They're part of a lot of the mentorship programs that I was in, but they were just not technical. And in every one of those mentorship programs, I have not met a single person that worked at Facebook at Google or Airbnb or is in a high leadership or engineering position that come to those bootcamp events. They just don't have time and they don't care. Right? But I know they have a lot of disposable income, and they want to get into real estate. They just don't have time to do the work or the patience to find out everything, Right, to learn everything. So the goal is to bring the supply, the amazing syndicators that I know, to Silicon Valley and bring in a fresh crop of passive investors. And they will be pleasantly surprised how good of returns they are. And so I'm the bridge of those two different worlds.
1: As a business model, are you then taking a percentage, kind of like being a a partner or GP
0: on these syndications by having them on the platform? Good question. We are still figuring out that business model. What we don't do is I don't want to be a GP because it gets a little bit complicated when I'm getting the equity of the deal. And there's too much paperwork to handle. But we will take a common model is 1% of the money invested of that you met those people on the platform. If you bring your own investors, we don't charge anything like investors use it for free. But say you have $100,000 and you are a real estate agent and by end of the year, you need some investments to depreciate, you know you wanna do the tax depreciation. And you just like, I need to invest my 100K by end of December, who do I invest with? We provide a transparent platform for you to Deploy that 100k. Now that 100k, and we charge one percent of it. You know that's a thousand dollars. But you're gonna make about eight percent cash and cash, and twelve percent IRR. And we charge that one-time fee. You know how much is that to you? And my answer is, without that opportunity, you will not be making twelve percent IRR, right? So. You know, Again, we're tweaking that model. Maybe the passive investor pay 0.8% of it and the syndicator from the other 0.2%. I don't know. But that's definitely something that's coming up.
1: Okay. So right now, I guess you guys are like a software subscription model, like a software-to-service type and just charging like a
0: monthly recurring fee? Right now, only the syndicators pay. They they pay to be using the software to manage their investors. And that's solving the saving time uh, problem, which is amazing because our supply pays us money to be on the platform. And
1: in terms of like competition, like you mentioned, there are other platforms out there, but they're just maybe more expensive and not as user-friendly. Yeah. Do you worry about another competitor coming into your space and taking a market share or all that stuff?
0: I am not worried about future competitors. I do think that we are the newest kid on the block. And so we still have a uphill battle to fight because it's a sticky product. Once syndicators are bought into a platform, it's pretty hard to switch over, right? And what we tell them is we'll take care of all the onboarding and we'll finish all of that in seven days, just give us your login. That being said, I am the type of person that believes in eventual consistency. And so what that means is I don't know when it will happen, but I know that it will happen that we have better engineers. All our engineers graduate from University of Washington, Carnegie Mellon, and MIT. They used to work at Facebook, Live, and whatnot. So we know we have better engineers. And a lot of the other firms, their engineering is outsourced. So I do think that we have higher velocity. The second is we do have amazing customer service. And so companies are like people. They have different characteristics. And I would rather be myself and win in that way than to be, say, you know very aggressive with marketing, very aggressive with sales. So I don't know the future, but that's the strategy that we're gonna take is continue to innovate our product. We will do sales, we will do marketing, and we're actually pretty good with SEO. So for example, when you search for real estate syndication software, we're probably top three in the Google rankings. So we're doing pretty well there. And the other thing is a lot of these softwares, they are a white label service. But they don't have the marketplace component so we are fundamentally different we are an equity raising software plus a marketplace which makes it super powerful so we are not just carla to manage your cap table we are also angelus for those of you in tech i'm not
1: super familiar with the space the only thing i can think of something like fundrise right fundrise is a marketplace you can put in like five thousand dollars and boom you get your money back yeah how does that compare to what you guys are offering
0: Got it. So, you know, Fundrise, Cross Street eventually will be one of the competitors. We're not there yet. So, we are like very, very far away from them. The difference is that Fundrise and Cross Street, they have deals on their platform and they are all 506C. And they talk a lot about how much this deal is going to make money. Most passive investors don't have the time or the knowledge to learn about what different terms mean. Prefer return IRR and whatnot. Like it's important they know, but what they really care about is the person behind the curtain. How much do I trust this person? What is the track record? How do they communicate? Are they responsive? And so we put the person before the deal. People only invest with me on the first deal, not because they know about real estate syndication, but because they thought I was a good employee. You know, at live. And so, you know, one comment was that if Perry is willing to live with four housemates, he will move to Texas to make it work if this deal goes soft. That was a true statement. We'll have done that, except the deal ended up doing really well. So I want that kind of mindset and that kind of approach to be what Cash Flow Portal is about or Cash Flow Investing is about. Yeah, but whether how big it will become and how... You know, you can say one of the caveats is that people still need to network. And what if they're so lazy that they don't even want to network? Well, yeah, it might be a different clientele in that sense.
1: Mm -hmm. So, I mean, all this is super interesting stuff. I mean, I even have aspirations of starting my own tech business sometime in the future, maybe 10 years from now. Like, I guess if you were, again, just starting out from scratch, let's assume Cash Report doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, What would you be doing to start a tech business in the real estate space. So a prop tech business, because you know, typically real estate is an antiquated space. Like you mentioned, it's a very herd mentality. People don't want to shift and like things are done in an old way because no one else wants to move. Yeah, Right. One big example, right, is having to get notarized documents in person. This is a requirement for many like States and counties. It's like, I can't change it. Right. But if I have a partner that's hanging out overseas on vacation and They can't get a notary they have to go to an embassy right it's going to delay closing which causes issues that should be fixed but like that's beyond our control so how do you go about changing things
0: in an adequate space like real estate to bring in more technology into it there's like i can spend another hour on that question but when people talk about prop tech sometimes now they're not exactly talking about prop tech so for example to me if your prop tech is about lending it's about like broker coming out with tools to help real estate agents. I guess that's prop tech, but that's not real estate investing prop tech. That's just like commercial transaction. That's just like you know day-to-day broker, you know, productivity CRM, right? When we talk about prop tech, it's usually I specifically wanna bring it within the domain of real estate investing. How can you help a real estate investor succeed? I believe that underwriting is a huge market. Don't create another Google spreadsheet but create something that allows syndicators to build in scenarios, right? Right now, syndicators always have this spreadsheet that says, if I do a refinance on year two, if I change the distribution of waterfall from preferred return to a IRR prefer, you know, there's so much work to do with the spreadsheet. And I guarantee you that one out of a thousand people actually knows how to change that spreadsheet, right? But you can do it through software, that's amazing. Well, guess what? Brokers are actually the ones, commercial brokers are the ones who underwrite more often than regular real estate investors. And I will guarantee they're willing to pay a lot of money for an easy-to-use software. Now the challenge with that, you know, startup is that you've gotta spend a year and a half building it and before the brokers can take you seriously because they want it done. They don't like early adopt. They are too busy. And that's why it's like it's a kind of harsh industry to break into. You have to, you know, have that blind belief that it's going to work out. The next one is, you know, I do think that there's a lot that you can do with KPIs. So how the property is actually doing. And then you can share that, be able to track the health of the property, right? Uh, Analytics. How can I look up the rent of a, a one bedroom with that amenity? So a lot of data within real estate. I do believe that these are things that Casual Portal will eventually get to. But maybe to summarize, I do believe there is fundamentally a lack of the stripe for real estate investing. Something that people use every day, like setting up corporation, figure out the paperwork, and deal with the flow of money and whatnot. And that business model is that grows with when the investor becomes bigger and bigger exactly what that looks like and how you enter that space. I don't know. But I do see that there's a lot of infrastructure missing for true prop tech, not like, oh, how do I help the real estate agent prop tech?
1: Yeah, makes sense. I mean, again, if you knew the answer, then you would have created that billion dollar company already, right? Yeah. All right. Well, Perry, thank you again so much for coming on the show. I think this was a super interesting episode where you basically went through like how to create a startup company. In the prop tech space before we finish our show today is there any last words you could lead to our listeners
0: yeah i have become very empathetic with founders and i felt that i was very very scared about quitting my w2 job and i will tell you that once you quit you will feel so much happier <laughs> uh, let's put it that way you will be very scared but once you quit it's like it's not a big deal you might be worried that what am i gonna do with all this new time But if you are intrinsically motivated, you will find time to do very healthy things and you will continue to grow the business. But on the flip side, I do caution that if you haven't moonlight for at least half a year to one year while having your full-time job when working on a startup, you shouldn't quit. Because if you cannot work 80 hours a week for a year or half a year to be doing both then you're probably not passionate enough about your startup. That's the advice I've gotten. Uh, that's the advice that I adhere to. And then after you quit, you will continue to work 60 plus 80 hours, but then it's all at the startup. So there are like two different advice, which is you need to know that it actually works to some degree. You know, certain people have different, certain thresholds, but that at some point you do need to quit and don't be afraid to quit.
1: That's awesome. And Perry, how can people get in contact with you?
0: They can definitely reach out to me on email, it's perry at cashflowportal.com. They can also find me on LinkedIn, Perry Zhang. We have a private Facebook group, it's called Techies in Real Estate. And just shoot me an email, especially if you're a founder, if you're a syndicator. If you're a syndicator looking for a platform, happy to give a free demo with no obligation to commit. If you are a syndicator and just wanna talk with me on how to grow your business, I will for sure put on my syndicator hat on and talk more about syndication. If you are a you know, startup founder, would love to chat. I definitely now a lot of my friends are startup founders, and that's exciting.
1: Awesome. Well, Perry, thank you again so much for coming on the show. We're super excited to see the future of Cashflow Portal and seeing where you become. Don't forget us when you're a billionaire. No, no, no,
0: no. Thank you, though. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. Thanks so much.
1: I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at EverythingREI.com. Thanks and have a great day.